Texas Tech is on their first back-to-back road stand of the season. They will face the Oklahoma Sooners in Norman, who they have not seen all season long. We will give you the rundown on Oklahoma coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. You are Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel already, please go and do so now. It would help us out a lot. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News, and I'm joined by Emery Lida, a longtime Texas Tech analyst, writer, and podcaster. And today, we are here to break down the Oklahoma who Texas Tech has not seen all season long. They've been in a little bit of a skid, but um, Porter Moser trying to make sure that he turns the tide on his first season in Norman and get this team back into the win column. So Texas Tech is surely to get Oklahoma's best. It's a team they haven't seen all season, and I'm really looking forward to this matchup. Yeah, this is going to be the second to last new opponent that Tech has to face all season. We'll see TCU later this week. Uh, but certainly Oklahoma's an interesting team. Obviously, Porter Moser coming in from Loyola of Chicago, where obviously he had a well-documented run, a lot of team success there. And this Oklahoma team came into the year looking like a firm middle-of-the-pack team. I know you were higher on them than I was, Ryan, but certainly a team that was going to factor into that fourth through seventh race. And for the most part this year, they've been right there. I mean, analytically, they've looked pretty good. Certainly, they've had a pretty good non-conference schedule. They ended up ended up coming into conference season at 10 and two with their only losses being a close one to Butler and to Utah state. But then they got into conference play, started off pretty strong, played Baylor pretty close. And then it just kind of fell off. The, the wheels fell off the train there, whatever. I mean, you look at the results that they've had down the stretch and they've suddenly just gone cold three straight losses. They've lost seven of their last eight games and it really hasn't been like any one thing. They're not playing awful. I mean, a lot of these games are close games outside of against Auburn, which is understandable getting blown out by Auburn. But for the most part, they've been close and it's just been kind of alternating between whether or not it's the offense that just doesn't pick up or if it's the defense that kind of falters late in games or even in some cases just having some very poor showings on by certain players and just bad luck in some cases. So I mean, the Oklahoma team has a lot of talent around them, and they've looked good through most of the season, but just lately have hit a skid. And even if they haven't looked that bad in terms of game flow and how it looks through the game, they're just not getting the results. Yeah, and you mentioned it, one of seven in their last eight. That's a very similar kind of skid that we saw Texas Tech go into Morgantown and play West Virginia on. West Virginia had dropped six straight, so they were really hungry for a win and definitely gave Texas Tech their best effort. Oklahoma's sole win over this eight-game stretch has actually been in Morgantown against West Virginia, where they had really their best offensive night since Big 12 play started. Um, They they really, really needed a night like that and to really bounce back. And you mentioned I was really high on this team. Um, I loved, loved Porter Moser's tape um, and just what he was able to do when he was at uh, Loyola and just the defensive teams that he put together. He was just a mastermind. 
thought Tanner Groves was a really, really good pickup from the portal. Um, Emoja Gibson was a guy that we both talked about a lot last season and just what a talented shooter he is. But um, kind of what we've seen from this team is they haven't really clicked in areas that I thought they were going to. Um, they have not shot the ball very well. They're shooting just 32.7% from deep this season, which is much lower than I figured they would have shoot with guys like Groves and Gibson and even Harkless, who hasn't always been um, this poor of a shooter, but they're they're struggling a bit. And then the defense, it just hasn't really been what I would have figured from a Porter Moser team. Obviously, it takes a while for you to kind of instill a culture into your program and just get your guys going. Um, but they're just 35th in Kempom right now, which <laughs> sounds pretty good. Like it's top 50, which is obviously something that, you know, this Oklahoma team should wear um, with pride. But in this year's Big 12, that puts you right near the bottom. So they're struggling right now. They're coming a game against Oklahoma State, which I probably their worst game of the ski season. And they lost 55 to 64. Just didn't really have anything going for them. But a really interesting team. They've they've got some really interesting offensive numbers. They're kind of running a uh, Texas-esque offense right now. They're trying to really, really slow down the game, make every single possession count on both ends of the floor. The problem is, like I mentioned, their defense hasn't really converted those opportunities. But you look at their raw statistics, there's some really interesting things here. Um, right now, this Oklahoma team is currently taking about 530 53.8 shots per game. Wow, if they took 500 shots per game, they would be going quick. And they're shooting about 48% from the field. That's top 25 in the country. You look at their numbers on the inside, and they're shooting 58.1% on two-point attempts. That is fifth best in the country. So they are getting the ball inside and really being able to alleviate their outside weaknesses, which I think has, has really been able to keep them in games, even when they've gone you know, one for seven over the last eight. Yeah, that's the thing is their ability to get two-point shots has been really impressive. This is, in general, a team that thrives a lot off of cutting. That's something that I've noticed. And especially guys like Groves has been really electric on the inside, a lot of assisted two-pointers. Jalen Hill, we saw that last year with him at Oklahoma. He was a really efficient finisher and a guy that they used to draw or they drew up a lot of good plays for. But in general, to me, there's two major weaknesses on this team, and it's the fact that the guards aren't really great initiators is sort of a similar issue to what tech has but i think it's really more pronounced like emoja gibson's strength is really being a reliable shooter whether it be off of a pull-up or a catch and shoot you look at guys like harkless he's never really had to take on the playmaking role in his career even jordan goldwire the duke transfer has been really inefficient at times with his ball handling so you have all of that going on and for this team, they just haven't had the ball handling consistency. And they've tried a number of different primary ball handlers and it just hasn't worked. And you see their turnover percentage is obviously in the 300s at about 21%, which is really high. That's close to what Tech forces teams to to turn the ball over at. And that's a top 15 rate for Tech. So for Oklahoma, it's their ball handling on one end. And then on the other end, they run a lot of bigs at times, but none of them are particularly great shot blockers. And... I think that goes beyond just the pure blocking numbers. They're not a really good team at protecting the rim. And in this conference, you really need to be a good rim protecting team just with how much of the how much of the battles have been getting the ball to the inside and just making your way to the rim. Tough battles against really good offenses and defenses. And the Oklahoma team just seems to lack behind other teams in the conference in that aspect. Certainly 
having a guy like Tanner Gross playing and he's more of a stretch four will kind of impact that as well as a guy like Jalen Hill who kind of plays more like a big and isn't really a major interior threat on the defensive end. So they've just lacked size at times. And I think that that's going to come back to haunt them a little bit, but still in general, this is a really good team. I think the two point efficiency is something that really showcases what Porter Moser's got going on for him because he is a really good coach. I think offensively, he's one of the most creative guys in the game. And we've seen a lot of creative offense, but I just think until they get that ball handling situation sorted out, it's going to be hard to have them consistently put up points. Yeah, two stats on their season that really highlight just how how poor those two weaknesses have hurt them. Right now, they have 328 assists to 341 turnovers on the season. Anytime you are negative as a team in your assist-to-turnover ratio, you are in bad, bad shape. And then in blocks per game right now, they are averaging 1.7 blocks per game. That is 351st in the country. There are 358 teams playing basketball right now. So those are two numbers that are really, really putting Oklahoma in a hole. And I know that you and I have kind of um, just backed off on the discourse that Texas Tech is lacking size and that's really going to hurt them in their scheme. But, man, this is a team where it really does feel like the lack of interior defense is going to come back to haunt them, especially with what they're giving up at the rim, because it's not just shot blocking. Opponents are shooting about 50% on two-point field goals this season. So a not great place to be for Oklahoma, especially considering their weaknesses, but they've still got plenty of talented individual players, and I want to start taking a look at them in our next segment. But first, a word from our sponsors. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right, and it's thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating Built Bar products. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you're missing out on one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. Puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, and they're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. And they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors like churro, coconut marshmallow, and banana cream so good these are going to be your new favorite all built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate yes even the puffs all 100% real chocolate there are no there are no cheats there's no gimmick it's 100% real chocolate they're low in calories high protein and then you just need to replace your favorite candy bar with these trust me they're better and the macros are much better they're going to blow you away. They're high in protein, low in calories, high in fiber, low in carbs. Go to Built.com today to get your puffs. It's Super Week brought to you by GetUpside, and there's no better place to get coverage of the big game than the Locked On NFL podcast. Locked On Bengals and Locked On Rams are in LA all week covering the big game, so be sure to go check out their content. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. We are here discussing Oklahoma and what the Sooners have brought to the court this year in the Big 12. Um, a guy that we've already mentioned is a guy that I feel like is just worthy of discussion every single time he comes up. And that's Tanner Groves, a guy that hit the portal this season. Um, kind of, There was some Texas Tech interest there for a while. I was really hoping he would become a Red Raider, but nonetheless, he finds himself in Norman having a pretty decent season, um, averaging about 13.1 points per game, which leads Oklahoma in scoring, 5.8 rebounds, which is really solid for him, 1.7 assists. He's turned the ball over a little bit, 1.8 turnovers, as we mentioned, 
really not a factor in terms of shot blocking. The shooting hasn't really been what it was um, at Eastern Washington. He's just shooting about 36.6% from deep this season. But really, Groves and Gibson have been the two guys. When when Oklahoma needs a bucket, they will go to either of these guys. I think the thing with Groves that's really interesting is that it's just been difficult to keep him on the floor this season. He's only averaging about 26 minutes per game. That is by far the fewest out of their starters. And as you mentioned, that stretch four role is just really difficult for him to play on a Big 12 perimeter. But offensively, this is a guy that you've got to account for every single night. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Oklahoma replaced Brady Manick with a guy that I think is probably a little bit more developed than what Manick was, just in terms of his offensive versatility. But you have a lot of the similar functioning issues where defensively he is kind of a liability in terms of the role that he's forced to play as a big and then thus not being much of a rim protector and he's more foul prone than manic was and that kind of adds into the issues is not only can you kind of are you limited in some of the lineups you can run but also he's kind of gotten himself into foul trouble at times and that's limited him in that sense but you want to take that out of the equation, just talk about his offense. He's one of the best offensive players you're going to find in the Big 12. He can score at all three levels. We mentioned him as a stretch big, but really his work on the inside has been really impressive as well. And that goes back all the way to his Eastern Washington days, where I really think that was maybe one of the more overlooked parts of his game. I mean, you're talking about a guy that the last three years has been over 62% from two-point range. And he can operate off of cuts, he can operate off of post-ups, and he can really kind of play both a pick-and-pop and a pick-and-roll role very well. And I think that that's one of the things is he's not as much of a self-creator as I think a lot of guys that you see playing primarily inside are. And just his ability to move off the ball and play in a versatile role makes him difficult to contain and scout for because, I mean, you mentioned the shooting, and that's certainly one of the things that catches your eye, but really it's a lot of the damage that he does on the inside. And beyond that, he's had a few really efficient games this season. I mean, his last game was Oklahoma State. I believe he had 23 points, really efficient. And again, in that one, he did a lot of his work from the two-point part of from the two-point range. And you look at some of his best games this year, they haven't really been lighting up the three-pointers. And I think his game against Kansas in the tournament last year for – for Eastern Washington was probably one of the most impressive individual individual performances that we saw over the course of that entire tournament. And I think it maybe gave people a little bit of, of a conception that he was just some absolute sniper from three-point range. But as a whole, he's still someone that you're going to have to obviously defend out there. But on the inside, his talent's very intriguing. And I think that he's a weapon for Oklahoma, even if at times he's been inconsistent. Certainly he's had moments in conference play where he struggled to have much of an impact just because he hasn't been on the floor as much. He's still a guy you have to look out for. And to me, he's probably the most dangerous weapon on the Oklahoma team. Yeah. I mean, the, the numbers on the inside are really impressive shooting about 65% on two point field goals this season. It's a very, very high efficiency. Um, he just, he just gets himself to the rim. He creates his own shot. He's a really impressive player to watch play. But I, I think I would I would actually say that I think Amoja Gibson is the most dangerous player on this team. Now, there's reason for you to be hesitant about that or push back on that because he has not really been the same player that we've seen throughout the course of um, really his whole entire college career and, and last season, his first year at Oklahoma. At Oklahoma. So Amoja Gibson transferred in from North Texas um, and last year was his first season at Oklahoma and he just shot the ball phenomenally shot over five attempts per game and was at about 41.1% from deep 
uh, was clearly one of the best free throw or not free throw three point shooters in the conference and was just a really, really dangerous guy. This season, the volume has kicked up. He is now taking about six and a half threes per game, but he's only shooting about 36%. So that has decreased quite a bit, and he is not as dangerous as he looked last season. But you've also got to consider what that Oklahoma team looked like last year and what it looks like this year. He is not getting the spacing on the floor that I'm sure he would like with um, Austin Reeves and Brady Manick both playing basketball elsewhere now. It is just a totally different Oklahoma team for him to run in. But on Harmon too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a ton of guys. Manic Manic is at UNC. Obviously, had a big big game uh, on Tuesday night. And then you mentioned Harmon. He's at Oregon now. Austin Reeves in the NBA G League. I think part of the Lakers system, but. Man, it's just very different scenery for Emoja Gibson, and he's hurting a little bit because of that. But one area that I think he has improved in, which I almost accidentally spilled the beans on earlier, was the free throw shooting. He has been a much improved free throw shooter and a much more frequent free throw shooter. Last year, he shot 30 free throws, and he shot 73% from the line. This year, he has taken 52, and he's shooting 92.3% from the line. So Texas Tech will have to be weary to not get him to the line and, and force them to just not not get easy ones because this is a guy that once he gets going can be dangerous even with the decreased efficiency this year. Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of fault here and say that I did not preload the stat. However, I think it's really interesting to find that Gibson's only had about 30 rim attempts this entire season, and yet he shot 52 free throws, which to me means one of two things. Either he's a crafty player that gets – fouls on jump shots which i've seen a few times on tape or he's been really effective at drawing contact on the inside i think it's kind of a mixture of both but certainly it's something that he's worked on and then when he gets to the line he's shooting at a rate that he's shooting at a percentage that i'm not sure if it's sustainable or not but being above 90 percent, you're talking about one of the best free throw shooters in the nation and for me i mean emoja gibson obviously the pure numbers from the three-point line aren't what they were last year i think again like you mentioned does a lot to do with the surroundings when you got when you don't have guys like Manic or even to me most importantly would be Reeves and Harmon because those two guys were primary ball handlers that were really effective at getting open looks for him. It's gonna naturally dwindle down his percentage. I mean, think about what Davide Moretti's percentage went to in his last year at Tech compared to his second year. I think that's a good comparison in the sense that just when you don't have that gravity from other guys that can impact the shooting percentages, but he's still a dangerous shooting weapon. I think at times they've asked him to be more of a lead initiator, and I think that they've kind of phased that out a little bit down the stretch of Big 12 play and just focus on him being more of a catch-and-shoot guy. But he's certainly he's a weapon, man. I mean, his ability to shoot the ball is unmatched on this team, and I think that it's probably one of the biggest biggest threats that Tech's going to face from the outside all season just because of his – he can hit the catch-and-shoot three, he can hit pull-ups, and really in general – He's been that level of shooter throughout his college career. And I also think another thing that he's done a good job of is he's really a pretty good on-ball perimeter defender as well. And we saw that back in his days at North Texas before he came to Oklahoma. That was one of his calling cards, and it's carried over. And, I mean, that's just in general probably the strength of this OU defense is looking at their guards on the perimeter as well. Because in addition to Gibson, you also have Elijah Harkless and then Jordan Goldwire. And I think all three of those guys kind of pride themselves on being pesky on-ball defenders. Yeah, I've got Gibson's profile pulled up because you mentioned it. He's got 
35 shots at the rim this year, 52 from the free throw line, and 150 from deep. So a very, very interesting um, just offensive player this season. But you mentioned it. Um, their perimeter defense individually is really good. They've got a couple of guys that are really, really talented. Um, Goldwire is the guy that was recruited by Tech, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was recruited by Tech. And I think they might have made his final five. Or yeah, final they were five. close. They were close. Yeah. Yeah, Goldwire, really, really good defensive player. Transferred from Duke. Um, made all ACC defensive team last season. But this year has, has taken a little bit of a dive in terms of just the raw numbers. At about 1.6 steals per game right now. But he's kind of assumed the lead playmaker, lead ball handler role for Oklahoma this year. Averaging about 3.6 assists per game and 2.4 turnovers. So... Again, he, he's kind of being serviceable for this team, but they're still really lacking that true initiator. Yeah, I think the problem for Goldwire is he's just really, his offensive game is very limited. He's not a particularly great shooter at all. And I think he's a little bit out of his element as a lead initiator. And certainly the stats don't look that bad, but he's just, he's never really been asked to be that main playmaker throughout his college career. Even even last year at Duke, when they were a pretty thin roster, they still had other guys that they were able to kind of rely on to initiate the offense. I think whenever you try to bring him into that primary bowl into a role, it's just the lack of shooting, and I don't think he has the dribble package to really take advantage of defenders. I think that those are kind of the limitations for him. He can still be a good passer and still be functional running the offense, but certainly his defensive ability and tenacity on the ball is really good, and I think in addition to what we already mentioned about Gibson and obviously Elijah Harkless as well, those are three guys that are going to match up well with just about any guards in the conference in terms of their ability to lock up one-on-one. All right, we'll close out our Oklahoma preview in our next segment with our keys to the game as well as our final score predictions. BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the playoffs right to the big game this weekend. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. In Norman, gonna be a, a a feisty Oklahoma team. I feel like they're they're desperately in need of a win to kind of stay out of that really bottom tier of the Big Twelve right now. They're eighth at three and seven. They definitely need a win to keep themselves afloat and even in the conversation for a bit in the tournament. So they're gonna come out hungry. I think it's gonna be a very similar mindset, aggressiveness, and urgency that we saw from West Virginia on Saturday. Um, but keys to the game I feel like a little bit different for me, although these two teams are, are kind of similar and I, I want to do the thing where I compare this team to all the other teams in the Big 12, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just go ahead and say that Texas Tech just has to protect the inside, um, and they've been really, really good at that this season. Um, but what I think they, they need to do is not allow any easy post-ups, any easy second-chance points. That's not something that this Oklahoma team does well at all but you need to make sure that you don't give them any easy buckets um make every possession count they're they're going to try and play slow 
Um, force them into tough shots. Get them away from the rim. Don't send them to the free throw line. I mean, just just really just take care of business. Like you're the better team in this game. I, I really do feel pretty confident about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna predict my score in a minute. I'm gonna be more conservative than I was in the West Virginia game, just because it burned me last time. But I think you're the better team. But you you still got to go out and execute. Um, force this team to turn the ball over a lot. Take advantage of their weakness at the point guard position and and just play your identity of defense that you've played all year. Cause chaos on the perimeter, create turnovers and protect the inside. If you can do that, you're leaving Norman with, with a pretty easy win in my opinion. Yeah. This Oklahoma team is very strange in their makeup because they really don't have any guards that are elite initiators, which Obviously, over the years, that's something that they've been come to or they've come to have been known for. I mean, you look at Davion Harmon last year; he was really good. Obviously, you had Austin Reeves, who was probably even better. You had Trey Young, you had Buddy Heald, you had really that whole trio of guards back then. And now they just don't really have that initiator. And yet, offensively, they have a really intriguing profile because they're so good from two point range. I think Tanner Groves plays a lot in that. They're been really efficient at finishing at the rim despite not having any real good driver and I think that speaks to their off-ball ability so I think that one of the keys to the game here would be just know do your homework make sure that you aren't giving up easy cuts and easy off-ball looks on the inside and that's kind of it's kind of common sense in a way because I think that's something that you would look at in every game and just not having mental breakdowns but I think it's more important here because this isn't going to be a game I feel like is going to be delved into one-on-one type of play because if it does then that really favors tech over Oklahoma and so I can't see Oklahoma trying to just give it to their guards and hope something happens I feel like they're going to really try to stay systematic and so offense or defensively I think just doing the fundamentals not falling asleep on off-ball looks and just making everything Oklahoma does difficult that'd be one of my keys and then offensively I think it's just going to have to be get to the rim force them out of a lineup that involves Tanner Gross, limit the amount of minutes he can play and force them to try to figure out some sort of rim protection. I think it's something that Tech has done a good job of this year in terms of against Kansas in the first game at home. They did a really good job of when David McCormick wasn't in the game, utilizing the inside and being able to get to the rim effectively. We've seen it throughout conference play where even when they're not shooting well, they're able to really get inside and finish well. So I think just finishing at the rim, being able to get there and sort of exploiting Oklahoma's lack of interior presence on defense and not trying to do too much on the outside too, because I think those guards are probably the most dangerous part of their team on the defensive end. So just forcing it inside, see what can happen, and then defensively make sure that everything is smooth and there's not a, not a ton of lapses. I feel like something that Mark Adams has done really well this season, and maybe I'm just looking too much into things but I feel like he's done a really good job at getting foul prone players into foul trouble in in games like I feel like he he can cook something up to get Groves in trouble especially involving Bryson Williams post-ups that's just like am I reading too much into that I think my gut instinct says that you're not reading too much into it because I look back at some of the games I'm like Chet Holmgren he had the two really early fouls. You look at Nate Watson, if I remember correctly, he was limited early in that game. Obviously against Texas, I think you got we got Marcus Carter foul trouble early on, right? And then they just played through it and dared the refs to call more fouls on him. 
Um, and then obviously, I mean, throughout, we've mentioned this a million times, it feels like on the podcast, but for whatever reason, David McCormick just has nightmares every time he goes against Tech for what it's worth. So, I mean, I think Tech has done, Mark Adams in particular, has done a really good job of scheming up, looks to kind of take advantage of foul truck players that get into foul trouble frequently, but certainly with Biggs as well. I will say that Oklahoma might try to hide Groves in this one and kind of just do the rim protection by committee, real run, run real small ball, and hope that Tech doesn't have the presence to just continuously hunt down Groves. But certainly I think this is a matchup that favors Tech in that sense and just Mark Adams' ability to scheme something up to get him into foul trouble. All right, final score prediction. Predicted a double-digit win by Texas Tech and Morgantown. That was obviously a little too ambitious. Also, Iowa State just lost by 16 to West Virginia in Morgantown, which is just wild. But anyways, we're not an Iowa State podcast or a West Virginia podcast. And so I'm going to predict a Texas Tech victory. But I'm going to go a little bit more conservative. I'm going to go Tech winning this one 66-60. to a little bit on the low scoring end. Um, I think that Texas Tech is going to, like you mentioned, just own the paint on both ends. That's been their strength this season. Um, and then I think we're going to have a big game from Davion Warren. And I think that we'll see limited minutes from Adonis Arms and Terrence Shannon Jr., if any at all, as they continue to rehab from their scary injuries against West Virginia. And with that, Tech is going to need somebody to be aggressive on the offensive end. I think that could be Kevin McCuller. I think he he's shown that he has the ability to do that. But I just really like what I've seen from Davion Warren in recent games. It's feel like it's been a while since he's kind of um, had an explosive game where he's looked like Tech's best player. And with the lack of rim protection on this Oklahoma team, I think that he can cause a lot of problems by getting those guys out there on the perimeter and forcing them to keep up with him. But really, I could see like four different guys from Tech being the player of this game. I don't think that there's necessarily a truly outstanding, favorable matchup on the roster. I just think that Texas Tech is more talented, so I'm going to pick the Red Raiders winning 66-60. to 60. Would one of those four players happen to be Marcus Santos Silva? It wouldn't, but I I like the thought. I like the thought. I'm going to go with him as player of the game because last year in this matchup, he had a really strong game against Oklahoma. And while obviously the rosters had a lot of turnover and there's been changes and whatnot, I think that this is a really good matchup for him. But first, I'm going to get into my score prediction. I think it's going to be pretty low scoring. I feel like it's going to be a close game. Oklahoma, really, it's do or die for them. I mean, they're on the verge of falling out of the tournament picture in terms of being in the field. Joe Lenardi's last last bracket if i remember correctly had them as the last team in the tournament and so they're going to be fighting with everything it's worth and i think that the perimeter defense for them is enough to cause a little bit of concern but i just think that tech has too much of a matchup advantage on the inside and i'm going to pick tech to win this one by the final score of 64 to 60 i think it's going to be close throughout i would not be surprised if oklahoma grabbed an early lead and tech had to kind of claw their way back and like I mentioned, I'm going to go with Marcus Santos-Silva's player of the game in this one. He had 18 points in Norman last year, along with seven boards. And really, to start off that game, just had a really dominant stretch in the post. And while Oklahoma isn't playing Brady Manick anymore and isn't having that matchup that Tech can exploit, they have Tanner Groves, which is 
close to the same thing as brutal as that sounds to Groves on the defensive end, I think is pretty true. So I'm going to pick Tech to win. Marcus Santos Silva to have a big game. Like you mentioned, though, it could be one of many different players. I mean, really, if you named a player in the rotation, it would not surprise me if they were one of the two or three most impactful players in this game. So, um, I mean, it could go to anyone. I wouldn't be surprised if Bryson Williams had a nice game. You mentioned Davion Moore, and I think that's a good pick. I think this is a matchup that could favor him really well. And then as well as that, I mean, I can't see TJ and us arms playing too much, but if they do, I think that they would also have the potential to thrive as wings against a team that's a little bit wing. There's a little bit of a shortage in wings. Love the, love the Marcus Santos Silva pick, man. It'll be his 150th career collegiate game in Norman on Wednesday night. So really excited to see him lace up for that one. And I think it's pretty clear that I'm a huge Marcus Santos Silva fan. I think he's a great, great dude, really good basketball player, has played his heart out this year. And so, man, I hope he's the player of the game. He deserves it. Yeah. Do you think he has a shot at getting to 1,000 rebounds in his career? I think he's 91 short at the moment, and we've got at least 12 games left to play. That's like eight a game. Minus if yeah, if Tech loses in the first round of both the Big 12 and the NCAA tournament, he would have to average just over seven and a half a game. Mm, I'm going to take the under just for the sake that I think that the rotation will get a lot shorter come end of the year and, and tournament time. But I don't feel good about that. I'm Especially gonna take... after I just hyped him up. Like I feel like I, I'm like really killing the vibe right now. Yeah, I kind of put you in a bad spot there, but I'll I'll take the over on it because I think I'm going to knock on wood here and say that Tech ends up playing a couple more than just the 12 games. And then if that's the case, and I could easily see him playing well enough to potentially get eight, seven rebounds, maybe six or seven rebounds a game if he has a hot stretch. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be close. And if he does, he'd end up in his college career with a thousand points, a thousand rebounds, and that'd be really fitting for a player of his caliber. That'd be great, man. I'm all for it. I hope that he accomplishes that line and makes me look like a pessimistic hater. But thank you for tuning in to our Oklahoma preview. We will be back tomorrow to recap the game between the Sooners and the Red Raiders. Dig into hopefully what went well for Texas Tech and led them to a victory. In the meantime, you can keep up with us on Twitter. You can follow me at LBK. You can follow Emory at eraser41. You can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube if you have not already. If you are watching this on YouTube, then you just saw me put a fancy banner up on the screen that has our Twitter handle on it. And man, that's the kind of content that you got to subscribe to our YouTube for. It's very exclusive, very intriguing, and very, very hot take friendly. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube. Turn on the notifications whenever we release a new video so that you can be first. We usually drop them at 6 a.m. Central in the morning. We just thank you for continuing to support and follow and share and like and subscribe Locked on Texas Tech. And we thank you for making us your first listen every day. And be sure to make your second listen Locked on Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms just like us. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.